everyone. Welcome to Shrinks Talk Shop, a podcast where psychotherapists share their thoughts with you, and you don't have to be a therapist to listen and to learn. Shrinks Talk Shop is a product of On Good Authority, a provider of continuing education for mental health professionals. And I'm Barbara Alexander, the founder and president of On Good Authority, which is a website where mental health professionals can listen to interviews with psychotherapy experts and earn the continuing education credit they need to renew their licenses. I'm a clinical social worker, and I started this company in 1992. Since then, I've interviewed hundreds of psychotherapy experts, and now I'm going to share some of the best of those interviews with you. First, a quote from this week's speaker, Dr. Mark Smaller, past president of the American Psychoanalytic Association. How can you make a diagnosis of somebody if you haven't actually sat, you know, sat down in a room and over some extended period of consultation make that evaluation or diagnosis? I think most mental health professionals would agree with that. One of the characteristics of all humans is the ability to ask why, and to try to understand our world and the people in it. That, to me, by the way, is the purpose of gossip, establishing and transmitting social norms. So, to a greater or lesser extent, when we see or read about unusual behavior, sometimes spectacularly unusual behavior, we try to find a framework in which to understand that behavior, only natural, and we are all entitled to our opinions, right? Anyone can be an armchair psychiatrist. However, when it comes to mental health professionals, another standard exists. By virtue of our training in diagnosing and assessing behavior, our opinions tend to be held in a higher regard, with greater believability and gravitas. That would suggest that we take care in making our opinions about people and their behavior, especially if that opinion is expressed publicly in the media, be it news media, books, radio, TV, or social media outlets such as Facebook, Twitter, etc. Our codes of ethics, in one way or another, admonish us not to publicly express opinions about people whom we have not directly evaluated in person. Mark, let's start with the pertinent ethical rule on this topic, what's known as the Goldwater Rule and its history. Sure. Uh, It's great to be here and and to speak with you about such an important topic, both in terms of uh, uh, mental health professionals' responses to social and political issues and and also regarding... um, the, the history of um, psychoanalysts, psychotherapists, other mental health professionals speaking about public figures. So the Goldwater Rule um, emerged following uh, the, um, uh, uh, the election process between um, Barry Goldwater and Lyndon Johnson, I believe, right? Yes. And... Um, what had happened at some point right before the election, in that election cycle, a group of um, psychoanalysts actually um, spoke out and made comments about, and that I think were published in Time magazine, um, about the mental health 
uh, capacity of Barry Goldwater. And they, in their speaking out, they made it clear that there was something about his personality that made him, for example, potentially dangerous should he be, you know, in charge of uh, uh, nuclear codes of the United States of America. Well, uh, that Goldwater, um, after the election, ended up suing, um, not the American Psychoanalytic, but I believe uh, Time Magazine and another publication who had published this article, and, and, and won the lawsuit. Um, and essentially, the bottom line was the court ruled that, you know, unless you have face-to-face -face contact with someone, um, it's, uh, it's not only unethical, but um, illegal to make these kinds of diagnoses. And, um, uh, and, and ruled in, in Goldwater's favor. Now, it's important to keep in, to, to contextualize this, and, that, and by that I mean, at that time, most psychoanalysts of the American Psychoanalytic Association um, were psychiatrists, and many of whom, probably most of whom, were also members of the American Psychiatric. The Goldwater Rule was actually adopted by the American Psychiatric Association. And um, other, you know, professional organizations like the American Psychological Association, I believe even the National Association for Social Workers, um, and other groups began to, you know, uh, rely on this uh, so-called Goldwater Rule. And, and in many instances, um, in ethics statements about uh, various professional groups, it was stated that it is unethical to make a diagnostic um, statements about a public figure if you've had no contact with that public figure. Um, and, uh, and that's how things sort of stood for, for you know, all these past years until the, the last election cycle for president. You know, I think there is renewed controversy. Was the Goldwater Rule recently changed so that now it prohibits professional opinions on the subject of a public figure's mental health? Or was it simply narrowed so that now it prohibits professional opinions in addition to diagnosis? The whole area is muddy. What is a professional opinion? Does it include anything that a professional says about a public figure? And can a professional offer an opinion as a person, a private citizen, rather than as an expert? So let's clarify what all that means. Can you speak to what a professional opinion is, Mark? That, that, is, that is where the, the waters get very muddied. Certainly, I think that um, making a, um, a diagnosis of anyone, whether uh, he or she be a public figure or not, would be in my mind, and certainly um, the position of the American Psychoanalytic and most other organizations, uh, would be, uh, uh, I think, you know, grossly inappropriate. How can you make a diagnosis of somebody if you haven't actually sat, you know, sat down in a room and over some extended period of consultation make that evaluation or diagnosis? I think most mental health professionals would agree with that. I think where it gets much more ambiguous is, can you offer an opinion about a public figure, 
um, that an opinion, not a diagnosis, but an opinion that includes or is based on your professional expertise. So for example, someone could say, um, somebody who has, uh, uh, speaking generally, someone who has um, uh, fragile self-esteem, uh, narcissistic vulnerability, if uh, someone who has those kinds of uh, internal dynamics, what one might expect or possibly see or observe in behavior is somebody who makes unrealistic claims about him or herself um, or um, goes through um, significant periods of depression when he or she feels uh, uh, attacked or injured by those around. So you could offer that kind of uh, uh, description of a dynamic of somebody with, for example, narcissistic vulnerability. And I think the most you could say is most one could do comfortably, in my opinion, as a professional, is to offer that kind of view. And whoever is reading your or responding to your, you know, um, public point of view, express point of view, they may or they may decide or choose to apply that to that public figure. Now, in saying that, I, you know, I haven't read specifically the APA, the American Psychiatrics Goldwater Rule, but I think they even, uh, it, it was even written in, in the, gold, the original Goldwater Rule that even offering that kind of point of view um, was kind of, you're on the edge of sort of diagnosis. You're not saying, you're saying somebody who has this particular dynamic could be sort of classified or diagnosed with this particular diagnosis, but you're sort of not saying it. We're in the middle of an interview with Mark Smuller, and I'm Barbara Alexander from Shrink's Talk Shop, continuing our conversation. But it gets even more complicated because some are saying now, given our state of electronic record, that there is more than enough evidence in video and in written word to diagnose, that is to adequately come up with a diagnosis. Clearly that's against the Goldwater Rule, but I wonder what you think about that. Prudy Gorgashan, who again had been president at the time where our position, uh, uh, the American Psychoanalytic Association's position on this years ago was made clear that, you know, we were not you know, it would be unethical to, to diagnose somebody or even to offer certain kinds of opinions about public figures. She had a, uh, um, an op-ed piece in the Los Angeles Times a few months ago, and what she did is that she went and looked at the uh, military manual that describes uh, characteristics and uh, levels of competency for, to, for leadership in the military. And there, there are these um, leadership guidelines that the military puts out that's in there uh, in a sort of uh, uh, a standards document of the, mil of the United States military. I think that's one way of then, you know, um, looking at guidelines that, that can be used to evaluate somebody's leadership capacity. I think that is, that's very different than offering uh, a professional opinion based on or loosely associated to a diagnosis. You know, I agree with you. 
I think that's very different because that's then measuring a leader against official sort of standards of leadership that are published as opposed to from afar applying diagnostic criteria. Yeah, my concern as a psychoanalyst is um, if this is not carefully considered, thought about, reflected upon, it would be very easy for any kind of mental health professional to offer an opinion about somebody who, for example, might be perceived as uh, politically very liberal, but, you know, uh, somebody could make so-called professional opinions about in a way that, you know, might make me as a sort of, you know, politically liberal person uncomfortable. And so that I think that it's a very legitimate concern. I want to say, though, that, um, uh, and this is something that I, as a psychoanalyst, as a clinical social worker, um, have struggled with over the last couple of years, um, is I, I, I think that we might get ourselves into trouble in terms of offering professional opinions um, that can be construed as diagnoses. However, I think that um, psychoanalytic, psychodynamic mental health professionals certainly can be uh, experts in terms of, for example, group and social dynamics. And um, there is something to be said for understanding something that happened in this country over the last couple of years, obviously it had been building before then, that I think... um, uh, we know something about uh, people who, groups, who feel uh, 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 ignored, uh, groups that feel marginalized. We know individuals who feel marginalized, ignored, not responded to, can develop all kinds of angry, if not rageful feelings. And psychoanalysts have been writing about this for many years, and certainly since... Uh, World War II and Nazi Germany and how that all came to be and how even the Holocaust came to be. We know something about how groups behave and function when they're, you know, not responded to, uh, marginalized and ignored. And a charismatic leader can come along that, uh, that, that makes that group of people that has felt so, you know, consistently marginalized um, a charismatic leader can come along and speak to the concerns of that group, even making um, you know unrealistic uh, uh, statements about uh, a current social political situation, uh, or him or herself can come along, and obviously that group is going to gravitate towards that charismatic you know person, even if the direction that that leader is going could be potentially dangerous or destructive. I think there is something to be said about offering um, psychoanalytically informed understandings of individuals and groups. And I think that's something that we can offer the public. And I think we should be offering the public um, because the public is hungry to understand something about, about the current state of such polarization and divisiveness, um, uh, we know something about how group dynamics work, and I think we need to be present to offer the public a view about those kinds of issues. 
is that just in terms of you know all mental health professionals, not psycho, not necessarily psychoanalytic, is it unethical? Is there a moral imperative to speak out? Is it ethical? Can it be ethical and not moral, moral and not ethical? I mean, is there there's sort of a little dialectic there that I'm wondering if you could address? I think that one has a a, a very um, a, a, a personal, if not moral, responsibility to speak out against um, uh, uh, social political situations um, that actually go against the the individual values, personal values, but also against professional um, values. Um, and speaking, again, as, as a um, psychoanalyst and also as a clinical social worker, if I feel, you know, social work is a, is a profession uh, similar to psychoanalysis, but social work is a profession uh, unique amongst, among many professions that has evolved from uh, a, um, a set of values as well as based on the foundation is uh, a, 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 a case by case individual, the uniqueness of an individual. It has evolved from those kinds of values. And if, as a professional, I feel that um, uh, uh, the the value of the individual um, is is being either ignored or exploited in some really uh, potentially destructive way. I think I do have a responsibility to speak out, and I think that uh, uh, the president of the American Psychoanalytic was suggesting that people have to speak their conscience, and if they feel and um, that something um, is going on socially, politically, that it puts people at risk, um, oneself or others at risk, we do have a professional as well as moral obligation to speak out. So I think one has to do that. I think it needs to be done on an individual basis, and I think it complicates things to do so as, an associ as a professional association. Now, in saying that, a number of prof we we have in the American Psychoanalytic Association taken positions when we feel, for example, that there are aspects of the Affordable Care Act that, taken apart in some way, that we feel are is potentially harmful to our patients and their, for example, access to mental health services. We are going to take a position about that. That was Mark Smaller, and I'm Barbara Alexander. In our next podcast, Mark Smaller and I will continue our discussion with a special focus on how to handle political discussions in therapy. I hope you'll join me next week for that interview. And by the way, I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments about this program and any ideas you might have for future programs. My email address is info at ongoodauthority.com. So don't miss it. And if you or someone you know would like to earn continuing education credit for listening to these podcasts, go to www.ongoodauthority for complete information. So until next time, this is Barbara Alexander thanking you for listening. Thank you.